I try to keep everything in perspective and I also try to do, you know, make decisions with some element of risk management involved that again, like I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I have people that depend on me. So I, I'm not going to jump to feed into the high risk option unless I absolutely have to. So if I can take a couple years to kind of scale up those, those, those income streams and, and grow them over time, like that's absolutely the version of the, the roadmap I want to take. And that's, that's essentially what I've been doing is I'm not in a rush. I'm not, I'm not trying to be, you know, mega millionaire tomorrow. I I'm, I'm very happy with the way that my lifestyle is in current state. I'm really happy with the balance that I've struck and where my time goes day to day and week to week. And I would say that there's, there's just such incredible value in contentment. Like I, I don't need a lot of things to change right now because I don't know how much additional contentment or satisfaction or, or quote unquote happiness it buys me. So it's kind of one of those, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of mentalities. Like I, I really enjoy the way that life works. Welcome to Tech Careers and Money Talk. What if you could hang out with experienced tech industry executives, ask them about career growth, equity compensation, investing, financial strategies, and more. Then take an insight or two to guide your own career and lifestyle. Each week on the show, Christopher Nelson shares an in-depth look at how to navigate tech careers and hyper-growth companies, select the right companies to work for, earn equity, and build a passive income portfolio. Christopher is an author, tech exec, and principal and co-founder of Wealthward Capital. His goal is to give you the information you need to grow your career, build wealth, and make an impact. Now, here's Christopher. Hello, and welcome to Tech Careers and Money Talk. I am your host, Christopher Nelson. I've been in the tech industry for 20 plus years, and after climbing my way to the C-suite, working for three companies that have been through an IPO, and investing my way to financial independence, I'm here to share with you everything that I've learned and also introduce you to people along the way that can help you on this journey. Figuring out career and money and how it all works together is difficult, but there's other people that have done really, really cool things. And today we're going to talk to Adam Broda. Adam is a senior product manager at a big tech firm. He also runs an established coaching company, helping people in non-tech careers get into tech. He built this coaching business while working full time, and he's going to explain today how he did it, how he also got his employer involved and in to agree to this, and also what are his experiences and what he's learned along the way. I'm excited to share this with you today. Let's dig in and talk to Adam. Welcome to this week's episode of Tech Careers and Money Talk. I am super excited to introduce everybody to Adam Broda. Adam Broda is a legend on LinkedIn, if you don't know him. And yes, you are a legend. And he's a senior product manager in big tech, works in tech like many of us. And he also has a very established coaching business, Broda Coaching, where he helps people, professionals in non-technical careers, start working for big tech. And so it's a great story of somebody who is building uh, medical products by night or by day and then helping people get into tech by night. Welcome to the show, Adam. Thank you. To, yeah, ha happy to be here. You made me sound like Batman somehow, which <laughs> gets me even more excited to do this podcast. But yeah, <laughs> happy, to, happy to be on. Yeah, well, I think that you are. I think that, you know, uh, people in, you know, tech, tech employees, we work so hard. And, you know, having people that can give us, I think, career advice, lean into us from lessons learned is so important. So, you know, you and some other people that I've interviewed, I do think that you are heroes in the community because you're leaning in and you're helping out. So thank you for that. No problem. Yeah, happy <laughs> to do it. So you started your career as an aerospace engineer, and I'm assuming that you're happy, you're building airplanes. And then at some point <laughs> you said wait a second, I want to go to work for big tech. Help us understand a little bit of that origin story. Yeah. To give kind of the full perspective, it all started with my parents. My, my parents and my, my whole family is, is a very technical kind of engineering problem solving type of family. My dad's a, was a welding engineer. Mom was a technical designer. Brothers are engineers and in aerospace. So yeah, I, I went to school. My undergraduate was in mechanical engineering. It was actually going to be in architecture, but my dad, being the wise person that he was, said, uh, <laughs> you, you will regret that <laughs> for, for whatever reason. And 
you know, I, I like working with my hands, so that made a lot of sense. But yeah, I went to Boeing. I was actually a, a tool engineer was the first job that I had. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I would say that, yeah, I loved the work. The, the work was fantastic. Designing things, building equipment. The job at Boeing got more interesting as I went along, uh, just working on really large robotic systems. There's things that that company you can do that I, I firmly believe you can't do anywhere else in the world. And, and my time there was, was great and I loved what I did. But yeah, like 2019 hit, my wife and I had our, our first child in November and I went out on maternity leave for a couple months. And if you know anything about that period of time, <laughs> but like a few months that I was out, the world basically decided to light its hair on fire. <laughs> And uh, yeah, so COVID happened. Uh, Boeing had, you know, some some aerospace uh, incidents with the 737, which was their biggest oh. cash cow. They fired their CEO. And yeah, by the time I came back to work, uh, <laughs> you know, there was, there was some writing on the wall that, hey, there might be a downturn or a reduction in force because, mm. you know, we're not, we're not selling these planes. Also, even if we were selling them, no one's traveling right now. Right. Um, at the time, I was... I was, you know, I was the senior manager of production engineering for this this new startup uh, mm. called Boeing Additive Manufacturing. So we were 3D printing satellite parts and plane parts and doing a lot of really cool material science work. And um, I was down in Auburn, Washington, which is like about an hour-ish south of Seattle. And I had a pretty long commute. So I had talked with my boss before the baby. I said, hey, when I come back, I'm going to try to get a different job that allows me to move closer to my house. And they were all good with that. When I came back after the the break, that option was gone. That was no longer a wow. possibility. So uh, everybody's job was pretty much what it was. And and again, there you know there was a reduction in force that was kind of coming. So I started let's let's say networking for other jobs while I was on maternity leave, and then kind of made some final decisions actually when I had come back and confirmed some things. So yeah, started started the process of kind of thinking about like man, you know, this is a pretty major pivot for me. I've been doing this 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 Boeing job for eight mm. years. I've had really good success here. I love the work. People are great. But you know, what do I really want out of life? I've just kind of been working towards this like chief engineering position that I don't really even know if I want to do. Right. Uh, just that's what people tell me to do, right? I got you know, you, you build your community up and you surround yourself with mentors and other people, and that's kind of what had been pumped into my head. And that three month break, especially after having a baby, you know, like your whole world is changing at that point. So. That's a really good time to reflect and just kind of say like, okay, like, what do I actually want? What what do I want in five years? What do I want 10 years out to mm. look like? What do I want, you know, my relationships with my kids to look like? And even like, what, what do I want my relationship with work to look like? So started the process of kind of designing my own career transition strategy and, you know, tried to take it from an opposite perspective of what if I designed a career around my ideal lifestyle? as opposed to designing an ideal career mm. and then kind of letting your lifestyle be whatever the career dictates. And that worked really well. That Where that kind of led me was a pretty flexible job in a high paying industry that was working on really interesting technical problems. And that's kind of where my eyes started to shift to big tech. I had a lot of people that I had mm. you know, worked for or worked with that had transitioned um, to tech companies in the Seattle area. Obviously, Seattle's a huge tech hub. Um, but yeah, started some of those conversations, put a, you know, a career roadmap together for myself and then started getting the opportunity to interview for a couple different positions. So that's kind of how the process of getting into big tech started. Um, the other thing I'd say is that simultaneously while that was happening, and I think this is a question you're going to ask, so maybe I'll just go right into it. Is <laughs> it, it was, it was that period of time where I was like, Hey, you know, I, I, I feel pretty confident about my ability to change jobs. I feel pretty confident about my ability to explain the job search process because I've been a hiring manager for, at that point, you know, six, six, seven years, built three or four teams from the ground up and I could speak to a lot of those processes. And, and then, yeah, my actual personal transition, obviously I was well networked. Not everybody's going to have what I had, but um, felt like I could figure out how to, teach people the processes that I used and the, you know, again, kind of this mentality of design your lifestyle first and then let the career options kind of trickle through that. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the same time where I started to think about Berta coaching. So I launched Berta coaching in February. I'm going to pause you right there. Let me pause you right yeah, there because ahead. I want to, I want to go back and I want to tease out cause there's a few 
there's a few turns that you made a decision to take that I don't think many people take. And I want to try yeah. and, and and see if we can go back in, in, in the story a little bit, rewind, because we'll get to Broda coaching. Trust me. I want to get to, <laughs> you had this moment, you're at home, you're reflecting. And what I heard, because I'd been in a similar situation, you're surrounded by mentors. Your mentors are saying, you want to get to chief engineer. Like this is the holy grail and you can see it, you can feel it. Now you're at home and you have this soft, warm, beautiful baby. And you're like, wait a second, is chief engineer going to give me more time with her? Or am I going to be chained to this row? Like, like I want to understand where were you getting these influences that said that that was okay? Because many of us stay locked in. And I know for myself, and I, you know, I, I'll show you that story in a second, but I mean, I was locked in with that and I didn't realize that I didn't want the role until I got the role. Yeah. Fantastic question. Um, and, and again, feel free to keep pausing me and, and retroactively yeah. asking these details. This is, this is great. So I would say that again, like my time at Boeing was, was really good. I took a lot of let's call it like accelerated leadership development programs that I was yeah. either nominated for or kind of pushed into. And I did as many of the things as I could to kind of move up the ladder very quickly. I knew mm. in a very short period of time at Boeing that I, I wanted people leadership roles. I, I didn't necessarily want to be the CEO. I, I, I just wanted to manage teams. I just love working with teams. And as a coach of athletics and, you know, of, of things of that nature, I've kind of just learned some of those skills and that's what I wanted to do. So they helped me and they being the company helped me find people that could teach me about how to do those jobs well and create those mm. opportunities for myself and even how to push myself in terms of thinking bigger and broader with basically my career progression. But for such a long period of time, like you said, you kind of get locked in on like this, I need to promote, I need to move up, I need to make more money, I need to you know, scale and, and essentially be a better version of myself all the time. And I think the confusion is just that you start to think about the better version of yourself as the company's version and not right. necessarily your own version. So yes. it's it's not like that is something that I never processed, right? I, I, I typically do like a, my wife and I have this habit of doing, you know, like year end reflection and, and goals prior to going into a new year. So we, those are things that had come up in the past, but this was just such a unique time because, you know, November, December, January, as we were kind of doing that with a child, mm -hmm. a lot of the focus in the discussion was like, man, how do we, how do we get more flexibility? How do we get more time freedom? You know, I'm doing this crazy long commute. The job is great, but it's like a 10 to 12 hour a day job plus the drive. And wow. You know, I'm looking up and, you know, at the leadership chain, you know, chain or team above me at that company and the people are fantastic, but like, I wouldn't say, or I, I wouldn't have characterized anybody as like overtly happy with their personal life. You know what I mean? Wow. Like, so as you start to get to that level of realization, yeah. it, it, it becomes less attractive it, if, that's, it does. if that's what you want. Well, and, and no, I think that, well, and I, and this is one of the things that I think it's so important for people to understand is that, that like, I, like you was surrounded with great mentors that said, okay, here's what you want to mm -hmm. do next. Here's what you want to do next. And I kept listening, being coached, moving forward, getting the accolades, you know, and I love to your point what I was doing because I was building and running teams, making impact in, in tech companies. But then you start looking at, like, you start dissecting their lives and you're like, wait a second, like, did they... Yeah get to do that. Were they at the game when their kid, no, we were in the meeting and they said they had to miss it. And you start going, why? wait a second, do I want that? And I think that there is more of that out there where people are trying, people are realizing like I can make different choices. And that's one of the things that I heard from your story is that you realized, okay, wait, I actually have skills and abilities that I know are transferable to other industries. I have an intrinsic value that I can go trade for money, but I want to try and figure out a way to get more flexibility, get more time freedom and trade that for somewhere else. And that was one of the big things that said, go to big tech. Yeah, I, I think. So the first thing that I kind of just described, right? Like looking up and kind of realizing that maybe that's not the lifestyle you want is, is one component, but then exactly to what you alluded to, 
the second component was just the financial side of the of the discussion right um you know i was making this would have been like yeah 2019 i think i was making something like 175 k a year and there were some there were some incentives on top of that and bonuses and things of that nature but that's a fantastic salary like i i don't take this as a negative yeah yeah um, no. i was very very happy with that amount of money and and the lifestyle that it afforded but at the same time we were you know we were thinking about home ownership and a bunch of other things and just kind of thinking like man okay you know i'm making this right now this is what directors and executives make and this is what vice presidents make and like the differences are they're subtle but they're not massive and mm. the you know the, this pathway that i want to get on to the point where i'm buying my time back right through some other avenue or business venture where i'm buying assets or buying businesses and it, it just it moves so much slower at that pace versus yeah. in some of these other industries and i had a lot of friends and and again mentors ex-managers that had left and moved on and had kind of reached out retroactively and were like, Hey, Adam, like there's some serious money over here that <laughs> you are missing out on, right? Like senior level people making what executives are making at other firms. And that's um, right. So that, yeah, that's kind of the other big component of it. It was okay. Well, you know, maybe if I go there, the, the company performs well, but just because equity is such a big part of the total compensation packages in big tech, but you know, at the time it was doing great. Maybe I can get to that that time freedom roadmap or get through that roadmap a little faster. So that was another pretty large component in the decision. And did you have, did you have somebody, you know, cause this is obviously personal to me, personal to the podcast, right? Is where, where I'm interested is, did you have somebody who really broke down what that equity component was in relation to how it works from salary and other things? Or was this something that you learned, you know, on your own? Cause it's obvious. It's more obvious. I think in big tech where you're making, you know, the, the restricted stock units where it's like, okay, I'm going to get a tranche here, but understanding some of the nuance of how it's taxed or thinking about how to manage it, you know, that, that is a whole other learning that needs to happen along the way. how did you find out? Yeah, I'd say yes and no. It came in a couple of different capacities. So, you know, me kind of doing my own research and investigation and talking to people that worked at those firms, learning how total compensation packages were structured. Each of the big tech firms, Fortune 50 kind of companies does their own approach, but they're all relatively the same. So if you can get a kind of a ground or foundational level understanding, it's, you can be dangerous. I was really fortunate to have one of my, I guess I would call like mentors or, or, or bosses at Boeing a year or two before I left, they, they moved on to a different job, but um, he was what I would call like a, not a financial savant, but you know, just economics and finance minded leader. Mm -hmm. He was a senior director at the time and we, we had a really good relationship, but he is a big part of like what started me thinking about, again, like how to think about restricted stock units and equity investing and leveraging some of those tools at the very beginning. So I, I, it wasn't entirely me. I had a little bit of help. Sure. So it was a good mix. Yeah. Well, I do think, you know, it's so interesting that finding those leaders that are financial minded, that start giving you the insights of here's, you know, unlocking it and saying, here's how everything works behind the curtain hmm. is critical. I mean, I think to all of us in our learning, I mean, I, you know, found those breadcrumbs along the way too. And I think then the more you lean into that and you consume it, all of a sudden your eyes open up and you realize, okay, if I'm trading my time and talent for not just money, but also for equity that has this upside, it also has risk too, right? There can, we can go through times where the stock's depressed, but for most equity plans, they try and make adjustments for that to make sure they can hold right. on to great talent. Right. Um, that's a game changer. And so the other thing that I think was interesting in your transition is I have definitely heard people creating objections for themselves saying, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm over here working on airplane parts. How am I going to now go to work for big tech? Like they see the differences. They don't see the similarities, but there was something where, mm. and again, I don't know whether it was a coach or a person, but you, it sounds like you had some clarity that said, oh, here's what I'm doing here. Here's a job description over here. Let me line myself up to the similarities and start leaning into that versus opting myself out for the differences. How did that work for you? 
Yeah, it's again, another really good question. I'd say that this wasn't necessarily a coach. I didn't hire any help. I didn't necessarily even seek any mentors on this. It was just, this is really where my expertise as a hiring manager and team builder came in. It, you know, even in the aerospace world, I, I'd say the aerospace world is, is definitely different, right? The, the degrees in education and your background tend to matter mm. a little bit more than they do in the big tech world where honestly results matter more than anything. You can yeah. be a dentist and if you know how to run, uh, you know, business programs, no one really cares. That's right. <laughs> Just uh, get yeah. in there and do a good job. 100%. So yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't necessarily work exactly the same way in the aerospace world, but it's close. <laughs> but so yeah, like I went through a pretty, you know, a, a detail oriented process of, of identifying transferable skills. And I started by kind of saying, mm. okay, you know, I, these are the companies I want to work for. This is what lines up with my kind of career and lifestyle goals. I'm going to do some research. I'm going to try to get to a list of like three to five job roles that I could do in tech. There's lots of non-technical positions in tech. There's lots of technical positions in tech. So kind of went from that approach to see if my engineering experience would line up with any of the technical ones um, versus the non-technical. But yeah, kind of landed on like two to three job roles that fit my transferable skills, or I guess just skill base in general very well. And then it's kind of dialed in on specific roles, specific companies, specific levels, um, and would just read job requisitions. Spent a lot of time while I was off reading mm. job requisitions to understand, you know, hey, this is the description for this senior program manager. Um, what percentage of this, you know, have I done already versus what would be a stretch versus, you know, where would I need to fill a gap? And did that for lots of different positions until I had a pretty good idea mm. of you know, what made the most sense. And that is exactly where I kind of, where I came in. I came in as a, a principal or senior manager, program manager, um, mm. you know, in, in kind of a new greenfield space that was responsible for building a technology oriented team. So it was, it was a great fit and um, yeah, you know, <laughs> no, nobody, nobody's ever questioned my, my background or my education at, after the point where I interviewed. So at that point, it just becomes results oriented, right? What can you deliver? Really, it really does. And I mean, and, and then and then that's where, I mean, I think the fun begins, right? Is then it's this deliverable yeah. and you're only as good as your latest delivery. Then it's okay, on to the next one, on to the next one. Like they, they yeah. tech has What have a you done memory. for me lately? Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. A couple of things here I want to tease out is, and this is, this is just to help educate people is I think that there's a lens that many people, again, opt themselves out of working for tech because there's a false belief that everything is a technical role when there could be nothing further from the truth. Like in, in, I'm just curious what, you know, you've seen from the other side, does that belief hold true? Do you think a lot of people opt out because they don't understand the non-technical roles that are available in tech? Absolutely. I mean, as a, as a career coach, you know, on the side that deals a lot in this field, I can absolutely confirm that. I don't know if I could put a percentage on it, but it's probably somewhere in the range of like 20 to 30% of the people mm. that I talk to kind of have some version of that belief. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not technical enough. I think most people understand that there are roles that don't require software degrees, right? Like, right. okay, you know, I could, I could work at a tech company and not code. They get that. But in terms of what those roles are, the mm. level of technical, you know, exposure that you need, the level of technical work you'd be doing, there's a pretty good knowledge gap. You know, the, the thing that I say is that in most cases, there's more non-technical positions than there are technical ones. Yeah. There's more people not coding than there are coding. That's not always the case for for specific businesses, but it's the case in a lot of cases. So you know, your chances of finding a, you know, a, a position that doesn't require you to do software engineering or have a computer science background are very, very high. The, the level of tech exposure from that point on, again, can, can vary heavily, right? You could move into HR, right? And have <laughs> zero right. tech exposure and no one cares. Uh, you got to hire people that are technical, but that doesn't necessarily mean you have to be. But yeah, there's tons and tons of jobs. I would just say that, yeah, you do see the knowledge gap. Even in 2023, you see the knowledge gap fairly frequently. The other thing that you did that I think is, is a critical tactic that people need to execute is I call it marking yourself to market. When you're getting ready to apply for a specific tech role at a specific level, or you're getting into tech, marking yourself to market, you know, my definition is 
you start looking across all the different companies that are hiring for a role or a set of roles, and you're literally printing out those job descriptions, and I may not printing them out, but you're lining up and saying, what are the, what are the skills there? Where do I rank myself so that you can then understand, okay, where, what level am I at the market? And then how developed are my skill sets? And you can actually then even talk to other people in those roles in formal informational interviews to try and understand where you are. I think that exercise builds confidence. People don't want to do that work, but I would argue that if you, you doing that work, you walked into those interviews saying, okay, I understand, you know, now what kind of questions, what kind of capabilities, how to really speak about the results I delivered previously and sort of make that bridge for people. It's a common misconception, maybe just as much as the non-tech versus tech thing that we just talked about, that, that your title is going to carry some kind of weight when you interview or apply, you know, to a, to a big tech company. And the short answer is that in almost all cases, let's, let's call it 90% of the time, they really don't. And I've hired a bunch of people now at, at the tech firm that I work at that, <laughs> yeah, I can just say that we, we've looked at people with titles, multiple levels above what we're hiring and multiple levels below what we're hiring. And it does not, the, the universe is just so diverse that, you know, your, your title really doesn't say much. Sometimes right. your title progression can say something, right? If you've promoted internally, that, that yep. says way more than what your current state title is, but you're exactly right. Nobody is, you know, giving you credit because you're a director of marketing. Number one, that, you know, I don't know what that means because every company is different. <laughs> I have no idea how you got that title. What I'm going to care way more about is, you know, roles, responsibilities, authority, accountability, and then accomplishments, results, business impact, value, all that good stuff. So I'm going to spend way, way more time on that side. So you're absolutely right. You know, if you're marking yourself or trying to identify what level should I come in at, what, what level should I apply at, you should never, in my opinion, use title as a as as a barometer because it right. it's virtually irrelevant. It is you you have to look at the at the work, and I think one of the things I know uh, I was jamming on one of your LinkedIn posts re recently. We're sort of going back and forth because I also think that people need to be able to articulate what they've done and their results and their impact that they make to the business. Like because it's really I found as a hiring manager. A lot of times people would come in and they would want to start almost drowning me in what they did, like the minutia of what they were executing when it's, wait a second, I get the fact that you did that, you can't do that, great, but help me understand the impact of what you did. Because if they don't, yeah. that can be a risk as a hiring manager because they may not get the bigger picture. They may not understand and, and be able to prioritize well. So I'd love to get sort of your you know, two minute drill for people thinking about you know, what is the best way to really present themselves in this type of, of environment? Yeah, I'll, I'll take your question maybe to a, a extremely specific level, right? Like, yeah. because this question comes up so frequently in our coaching sessions, it's, you know, how, how do I build a, an experience section on my resume to do exactly what we're talking about? And, and I think it's important that some job description context is necessary, right? I, I, I don't, ever encourage you know, people that work with me to go right into, you know, accomplishment, 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 right. and then be done because it doesn't, doesn't tell the whole story. In fact, it potentially could, could tell too much, too small of a story. Right. Um, especially with higher level leaders of teams and people like you, you got to be a little bit more diverse than that. So the way we do it is typically the first bullet, right? Potentially sometimes the first one or two bullets is what we would call landscaping bullets. Your job was right. What about it is unique? What responsibilities are important for the reader to know? So you have to kind of set the stage of like, you know, I was managing this number of people. I was responsible for these assets or you know, this portfolio value or for whatever it is. They don't need a ton of information. You don't need pages and pages or sentences and sentences, but give them some some borderlines to kind of identify why your role is important and kind of the parameters that it exists in. And then, then you move into some of those, you know, value-driven, impact-driven, results-driven, accomplishment bullets. And then we also, again, it kind of depends on the level and the type of job that you're applying for, but we would throw in some, sometimes what we call like diversity bullets that would be meant to show outside of just results for a business. Like, what did right. you do for people? How did mm. you make people better, right? How did you yes. think about 
bettering other individuals or other teams? Mm -hmm. And how is that a strategic part of what you did on a day-to-day basis or, you know, week-to-week, month-to-month basis? Um, you, You really do need to kind of paint a more colorful picture than just, you know, I'm the guy that delivers financial impact and I did it here, 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 and here. Right. Well, that's great. But, you know, how does that tell mm-hmm. me if you can manage 15 people? Uh, you you got to be a little bit diverse. But that's really how we, we try to frame it up is give them the context first that they need, then give them the business value and the impact, and then try to cover any other, you know, components of the narrative that you want to tell. That's great. And I mean, I think it's so important to be succinct. And I think one of the things that that I always advocate that I would always coach people to is then write that down in a story and then you need to figure out how do you get a two minute version, maybe you have a five minute version, because if somebody asks you, tell me about yourself, that should be an instant home run. That's just like them serving up a softball over the plate. That should be right down the middle because all that stuff, if we can tell our own story effectively in a, in a compressed amount of time, and I advocate for literally, you know, almost like you're prepping for a speech, like rehearse it, practice it, get it down, understand what are the, yeah. the key moments because that will, that will serve you well. Yeah. The verbal version of what I described is what we would call a personal branding statement, right? And mm. it's not going to be nearly as detailed as a number of bullets on a resume, but we typically like to cover three areas. Right. We like to cover what are you passionate about and motivated by and how does that connect to a potential job or an audience member or a company? Mm. Uh, What are your top skills and abilities? What are the things they need to know about you right away? Typically, the third component is some aspect of quantifiable deliverables. So tell them what you're excited about. Tell them what you're good at and give them some sort of an anchor point for what you've delivered in the past. That's typically the formula that we use in a number of spaces and places, like a professional summary on a resume or maybe an intro on a LinkedIn profile, or even potentially a networking you know, message where you're meeting new people. But you're exactly right. Uh, you got to have some form of an elevator pitch ready to go um, that puts the best stuff up front. Ultimately, nobody is going to tell your story for you, right? Unless... You are of some caliber that a biographer is following you around and and editing that for you. Nobody is going to. And again, I think it's, it's a high value thing. So thanks for sharing that. That was like a, a bullet coaching session. So we are transitioning from the conversation of, you know, what, what got you from aerospace to big tech. And now you do have a coaching business. I want to take a quick break right here. We're going to come back. And I know a lot of our listeners are very interested in, You know, how do you think about setting up a side hustle while you're in big tech? Be right back. Okay, welcome back. We are here with Adam Broda. And in this half of the show, we want to really tease out and understand you've built a very established consulting business, a coaching business that helps people transition from outside of tech to inside of tech. I mean, essentially your journey that we heard in the first half I think so many people are interested in how you got started doing this and where was, where was the idea and what made you think that it was a viable idea, given the fact that you had, you'd been changing into big tech to begin with, and you were also having kids. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, It's not an idea that I like woke up with one night. I guess I'd start by saying that I didn't, my head didn't pop off the pillow and I knew what to do. Um, A lot of it started again, like we've already talked about, right? Like just thinking about the lifestyle I wanted and how to get there and how to buy more of my time back. And obviously there's lots of strategies for buying businesses, starting businesses, doing real estate, doing all kinds of things. And it was, it was really a point where I just kind of sat down and said, okay, you know, I could lose my job at Boeing. Mm. I should start thinking about other jobs, but I should also start thinking about what would it look like to go work for myself, which is something I've always wanted to do. So yeah, it's as simple as it possibly could be is I just wrote a list of stuff down. I mean, that's how it started, right? It's got a piece of paper and wrote some, uh, some things that I could do on my own, um, prioritize that list and then kind of said, okay, you know, what, what fits into a side business model, right? As opposed to like a full-time model. Cause I think that's an important consideration. There's yes. things you need to kind of jump full-time into, and there's things that you can start slowly and coaching, career coaching kind of felt actually I, I i guess i should clarify i didn't know it was career coaching at first it was just it was just general a number of different st- types of coaching but yeah I, that was the one that kind of made its way to the top of the list it felt like i could do it in a few hours a week 
not too hard to set up a resume or, or a website. Um, you know, use something like LinkedIn as a landing page. Mm. And and it aligned with like it aligned with my interest and my skill sets. Again, like I was very comfortable after hiring people and building teams for for you know six to seven years, talking and teaching that kind of stuff. And and I wouldn't have called myself an expert in that. I had a lot of work to do to get to maybe like an expert level. I, I still don't even know if I would fully clarify as an expert, but it fit my transferable skill set. Let's put it that way. Like I felt good enough and confident enough to get on phone calls with strangers and tell them how to do things. <laughs> and that's a big leap for me to get yeah. to that point. And then additionally, like I just love, I love people. I love coaching, love teaching. And those are things that I've mm. done in different capacities my whole life. You know, I was coaching high school wrestling at the time. I was a Bible study leader at our church for, for high school kids. My wife and I both did that for years. And mm. it, it just, it's a vein that has been tapped many times and I'm happy to continue doing it. So it was a good fit. And like I said, I, I started with more of a general idea of how to do things as opposed to a specific one. And as a product manager, I realized that that's dumb. You shouldn't, you should Breaking all my rules. Right, yeah. Yeah, I was breaking a lot of my own rules, uh, but but it it felt like it was more of an experiment at first, mm. as as weird as it is to say that I went in with like three different versions of coaching. So a lot of people don't know this, but I started with career coaching, lifestyle coaching, mm. and then there was one other kind that I can't remember. I I shut it off almost immediately. It was like organizational and life management coaching, and Okay. Ran that for like a three three month period, and 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 in my mind, I you know I kind of said, okay, I'm gonna try this for a little bit and see what I like and see how it goes. And I took I took some calls for free. You know, I was charging a pretty low amount of money. I think it was like I think I was charging fifty dollars for an hour at the time. And I can tell you that I learned a lot in that three month period. I <laughs> I learned very quickly that I didn't want to do life coaching. Uh, that. <laughs> The people that came through the door, and maybe it was the price point, right? At fifty dollars an hour that I that I worked with, they were great people, but there were some there were just some things I was not qualified to help <laughs> it, with. It turned into therapy, right, real fast. <laughs> it, 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 was like, Whoa, it did, hey. and it, it, it's not that everyone was like that, but you, yeah, you really kind of walked this line between like therapy and coaching, and and you know, I'm the type of person where I'm not gonna dabble into the therapy range. Right. I think the other thing I learned about myself was that in the, in the life coaching and like the lifestyle management and organizational mm. coaching, I would often get like too caught up in what the people were dealing with to the point where I was going above and beyond those hour calls or those emails and things on the side to like help them. And, and right. if someone was having like a legitimate issue, like I worked with this one guy that had, he had ADHD and was like really struggling to try and put calendars and stuff together and we came mm. up with a really solid plan of what to do but like he just couldn't get to the point where he could execute on it unless i right. was being way way more supportive and things kind of reveal themselves like you, you get burned out on different things or you realize where your skill sets are at and yeah i'd say within within three months i kind of shut off some of those other avenues of coaching mm. and said okay like it's career coaching like that's the one that's the one i enjoyed the most i feel the most comfortable talking about it mm. i have the best material on it it aligns with my personal experience. It aligns with what I'm doing now. And yeah, it was, it didn't take long for that to work itself out, but that's, that is in a nutshell how it all started. It was, it was a bit of a, of an experiment at first that I set up on purpose just to see if there was something there that I was missing, but no, and, it was career coaching pretty quick. And from a timeline perspective, were you, did you start this when you were at Boeing? No, I, well, I guess that's a good point. I, technically launched the business like in terms of website and branding it on linkedin in february so almost right around the time where i was walking out the door okay um, i planned for it you know i was writing plans and creating things um about a month in advance so yeah the first time i actually took a client would have been march of of that year and that's really i guess where i would say that the journey began with trying to figure out what i wanted to do I think many people who want to start side businesses working in big tech, they want to know, okay, how do I get, how do I get my company to agree? Or how do I make sure that they realize that it's not a conflict of interest? How did you, how did you address that? 
Yeah, I'd say number one, there's a lot of ways to address it. And the other thing I'd say is that how to address it, in my opinion, can change. Companies tend to take different stances on this and sometimes even take different stances on it depending upon what you're talking about or, 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 or how the business is set up. So you really do need to like do your due diligence here. Don't just assume everything is fine. Don't hide it. Um, you need to figure out how the two things can coexist. Because if you, if you don't figure that out ahead of time, you're just setting yourself up for, for massive failure either on one end or another, and you don't want that. Right. Yeah. You know, your side business really does need to, it needs to coexist with whatever else you want to do. Uh, but yeah, the way I addressed it was basically made it a very clear and upfront thing with the hiring team that was bringing me on at the tech firm and saying, hey, the, you know, this, this entity exists. I intend to continue doing this. And they deferred me to some legal folks and some policies and I went through them and uh, again, like there's some stipulations that I had to be careful of. Uh, the the biggest one just being like I can't I can't use a corporate brand, you know, in a way that would make it seem like I'm somehow profiting from the brand and not from right. my own brand, not from my own skill. So sometimes mm -hmm. walking that tightrope is a little difficult. But yeah, the short version is is I I just try to be transparent with whoever I'm working with, working for. You know, I do the conflict of interest assessments on a yearly basis. I make sure that I'm, you know, I'm not, there's nothing I need to disclose, but the short version is, is, you know, I, I'm not using company time. I'm not using company property. I'm not using company uh, logos or, or, or really anything related to the corporation to run my side business. Right. And I would make the argument that if all that, you know, if that component of my life went away, Berta coaching would be totally fine and virtually right. no one would know. So yeah, you kind of have to set it up in a way that makes sense. But I've talked to a lot of other creators about this. I mean, this is actually one of the more common questions I get from other people creating and building. Not a surprise. And um, I'd say that I've learned that different companies have different approaches. And I'd even say that different businesses inside of those companies have different approaches where, you know, Boeing is a fantastic example. They very, very recently started looking at some of the people that were working at their company as potential tools. Like, and, and I mean that in a good way, right? Like originally it would have been, there's no way you can run a career coaching side business at a company like that because someone would have interpreted that as a conflict of interest. And again, maybe a year ago, they started to shift over towards, okay, well, hey, if we have these people that have large followings online and share positive information are, and are, are you know, right. established experts in their community and, are, and have positive reputations, why wouldn't we want that? Why wouldn't we want to be associated with that? And some of those things have changed in a relatively short period of time. So it depends on where you're at, where you are and what you're doing. But my, you know, I would always recommend is, is, is be transparent, do the due diligence, go figure out who needs to know and who you need to tell. But there's lots of ways to make side businesses work in, in, in a corporate environment. Right. And yeah. don't get me wrong. There's, there's people that don't do it the right way and have been <laughs> burned, but there's way more people that do do it the right way. And it's not overly complicated. And so then how do you, you know, do you have uh, some VAs and, and people that help you out or do you run very, very lean? How do you, how do you, you know, operate it behind the scenes if you get open up the. Yeah. Yeah. Curtain. This is a, this is a good question. I'll be, I'll be as detailed and as specific as, as you want me to be. I'm, oh, I'm pretty okay. much an open book on this. So I say this on like our discovery calls when people call in and like want to know about Berta coaching and how to be a client. This is a side business for me. And I love my job in corporate. I, I really do. I love the people I work with. I love the type of work I get to do. And I really, for the next couple of years, at least, I don't have an intention to leave. So Broda coaching is not this make as much money as I possibly can and squish right. as many clients through this tube as I can and do these big programs situation. It's, it's very much a, for mm -hmm. me, it's quality over quantity. So everything for me fits in like a five to 10 hour box a week. Mm. So I only take so many one-on-one -on -one calls. I only do many, I only do so many things like this. I only spend so right. much time on LinkedIn and I'm totally fine with whatever growth rate comes out of that. I'm totally fine with ever, you know, whatever income rate comes out of that. You know, the first year I coached, I made, I think I made $6,000 mm. after taking like 40 people. The The second year I coached, I think I made, about 13,000 after taking maybe 60 or 70 people. Mm. Uh, the third year we expanded, we did a lot more calls and things looked a little bit different, but I think I made something like 22 or 23,000. So mm. 
that's me being an open book right there. Like those, yeah. those are great numbers and I'm happy that those, those existed, but those are not numbers that I'm going to go retire on and, you know, buy a no. Bugatti and it, it's, it's a side business. So uh, the way I would answer your question is Broto coaching for me is an outlet for me to help people. It's also an outlet for me to create some additional income. If I wanted to, I, I know the formula to, to turn it into a full-time thing, but I just, it's not a desire for me in current state. Um, so yeah, like it's, it's pretty simple. It's, it's a business completely run and operated by me. I do have some VA support. I I'm in mastermind communities with other creators that do this full-time and are really skilled at running their businesses. And I use resources from those people, uh, that are in other countries or that are in, in, in the U S that help me with things like course design and Mm. website development and, you know, copywriting help when I produce a document, right? I write all my own posts. I write all, all the stuff on my website. I write all the material in my courses. I do all the one-on-ones myself. I do all the discovery calls myself, but the infrastructure, um, typically I will get, you know, get, get others to help me. Um, I've worked with some fantastic people in Spain and Colombia and the U S that have helped me with those things over the years right. and have a lot of contacts that I've met through LinkedIn that, you know, if I need help or I need freelance, I just go find it in my network. So mm. It's a relatively small operation. And like I said, I am perfectly happy and, you know, with, with the way that it works and I intend to keep it that way, at least for some time. I will say that, you know, recently, real recently, I I have started working with a business coach just Mm. because I want to understand what some of those alternative scalable options look like that again, I love the way it runs. I love the number of people that I work with. I like the format, you know, we do a lot of one-on-one coaching. That's most of our business, but it would be cool to think about, you know, the, the one downside of the one-on-one model, obviously there's pros and cons right. to everything, but the downside of the one-on-one model is that it worked really well when I had like 15,000 followers on LinkedIn, the number of people that would come to me week to week that needed help or wanted to do coaching. It doesn't necessarily work as well when you have 300,000 followers on LinkedIn, because the volume of people that I'm getting obviously I cannot handle, you know, in, in two to three calls a week. So that has been a thing on my mind the past, let's call it like six months. Um, and the thought has been, what would it look like if there was a more scalable approach that still let me coach people in person, but I could do it in more of a group setting. Right. Um, you know, charge a lower price point for that, of course, but, but that is something that I would say I will probably launch in the next couple of months is some version of a program where I can help more people in a more direct capacity, but not completely limited by one-on-one environment. So yeah, we, you know, I constantly look to look for ways to iterate. I constantly look for ways to learn. Like I said, I I work with coaches, I pay coaches um, to teach me about how to do different things in the business space and the career space. And I think it's all part of the process, but yeah, the journey has been fun and, and exciting at a very minimum. Um, I didn't necessarily plan it to go this way, <laughs> right? But but the way that it's worked out has has been just great. So, yeah, it's that's Broda Coaching. Yeah, so that is Broda Coaching. And one of the things that I heard you say that again, I'm going to rewind. I'm going to go double click on this because I think yeah. this is interesting. Is it sounds to me that you have built in a failover switch if something happens with the day job. So to your point, you're keeping it scaled. You love your day job. You know, you're learning a lot from corporate. And I I know plenty of us, like including myself, like (laughs) I got so much value that corporate helped make me the entrepreneur that I am today, hands down. Right. However, corporate is fickle, right? There can be regime changes. There can be you know, rifts, there can be all sorts of things. And what I think I heard is, oh, I'm keeping it here because my focus is here, but I want to have this. But if, if you hit a scenario where something happens and there's a a forced exit or there's a desire to transition, you could flip that switch. And all of a sudden that could be full income. I'd love to think that it is as simple as flipping a switch. Uh, and, and uh, yeah, maybe the way I, I would probably oversimplified. Is, <laughs> no, no you're, I, I totally get what you're saying. I, I think I'm working to get to the point where it is. That's okay. probably the way I should answer it is, is hmm. I know, like I said, I, I've been around long enough. I've talked to enough people. I'm in mastermind groups. I've done research. I, 
again, it's the product manager nature of me of, I know how to build that. It's not a question of that. I couldn't, it's, it's just a question of number one, do I have the, you know, do I have the time? And then number two, do, do I want to be a person that leads slash runs a business like that? And because I know the time that it requires up until a point where you kind of, you reach certain scalability milestones, which we could talk about, but, but yeah, I'd say that in current state, if, if a meteor hit planet earth and you know i I lost my job and everything went upside down which is kind of what happened with COVID, i guess if you think about it Uh, (laughs) it's definitely possible if that happened yes i'd say that within within a month or maybe even two months i could get to the point where i would feel pretty confident in you know potentially living off of the income that i'm making from that business in in addition to maybe some of what I'd be doing in other side businesses that I also understand how to, you know, run or, or operate. So yeah, it's not a, it's not a flip switch yet. I think I want to build to the point where it, it's much faster. You know, I could do yeah. it in a couple of days, if not a couple of weeks, but I'd say I'm months away from that point. And uh, that seems to be a good spot at the moment. Cause, cause like I said, I, I, I like what I do in corporate and it's, it's a great gig. I'm learning a ton and, I don't really want to walk away from that in current state. I also have real little kids and that's, <laughs> right. that's, that's a complexity in and of itself to try and manage. So yeah, keeping, keeping an eye on all that. Well, I think that many people, I think this, again, this is, is we've painted, you know, you and I, we've painted this vision of our future that says, okay, I want to have a lifestyle by design. I want to design it and I want to look at how work can work for me. It's not me working for a company for 50 years, but how do I make it work for me? And many people today are creating these almost what I call a a career portfolio lifestyle where they have some different things that we're doing. And it sounds like you've now anchored that in Broda Coaching and Broda Coaching will be a part of your portfolio moving forward and can be something that grows, scales, you know, um, maybe even fits into a tighter box depending on what else you have going on. But yeah, I think ultimately that is what many people are trying to understand how to do and have that so that they can have a hot failover or something because of, um, you know, some economic uncertainty and just changes in the market. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I think the future of, of work is, is probably diversified income streams and a lot more side hustles. I think, I couldn't say with confidence that that will happen in the next year or two, but I, I think it will happen eventually that employers will just have to become more okay with that kind of thing. And I think it's good for people to to not have all their eggs in one basket, which which the reality is, is so many people, especially in the, the older generations do. I mean, everything is tied True. up in that one job, right? Or that one income stream. And mm. yeah, my goal is to try and get to the point where I've got three or four, you know, kind of separate income streams. Um, just so that, yeah, if one or two take a hit or something fails in a given year that I'm, I'm not, you know, stranded out on an Island and the time that it takes to get there again, I think is an important call out, right? Like it's, it's not, it's not this scenario that I think you see on Instagram and Twitter and Snapchat where you're going from zero to a hundred in, in weeks, you know, in, in months, in some cases, it's, you're trying to balance lots of different components of your life, right? Your full-time job, your family, you know, whatever hobbies and interests you have that uh obviously you get you're the one that gets to decide how the recipe is written i try to keep everything in perspective and i also try to do you know make decisions with some element of risk management involved that again like i'm i'm a dad i'm a husband i have people that depend on me so i i'm not gonna jump two feet into the high risk option unless i absolutely have to so if i can take a couple years to kind of scale up those, those, those income streams and, and grow them over time. Like that's absolutely the version of the, the roadmap I want to take. And that's, that's essentially what I've been doing is I'm not in a rush. I'm not, I'm not trying to be, you know, mega millionaire tomorrow. I I'm, I'm very happy with the way that my lifestyle mm. is in current state. I'm really happy with the balance that I've struck and where my time goes day to day and week to week. And I would say that there's, there's just such incredible, value in contentment Mm. you know like i i don't i don't need a lot of things to change right now because i don't know how much additional contentment or satisfaction or or quote unquote happiness it buys me so it's kind of one of those 
you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of mentalities. Like I, I really enjoy the way that life works again, especially with little kids and the amount of time I get to spend with them. So I don't have a huge interest in trying to risk everything on a, you know, a big bet from a business perspective that potentially could harm the amount of time I have with them. Right. Or how other aspects of my life look. So, yeah, again, that's just me, right. It doesn't necessarily mean my formula is somebody else's formula. Sure. Uh, you know, as a 34 year old dad with two kids that, you know, has a lot of interest in things it, I, I would just say, you got to figure out what that success criteria is for yourself. That's the most important thing we mm. try to start with, with every single person that comes through Boda coaching is your definition of success is unique to you. Right. And the thing mm. at the end of the day is you get to define it, but then you also have to own it. So yeah. I'm, I'm trying to own it. <laughs> um, but yeah, ha- happy with how things have worked out so far for sure. Yeah, there's power in the word enough. It's power in it. Yeah, I mean, and and yeah. I I love the way that you you rolled that up. I I think that's going to make a phenomenal reel, by the way. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but no, but it is like it's so true. Is that you know? And I didn't. I had to actually get to the top of the ladder. I literally was following all my mentors' advice. Got to the moment where I was the chief information officer, sitting at this. Mm you know, startup in New York city and thought I had everything. And then when I saw the time I didn't have with my small kids and everything, like after six months, like I had to go, I had to go say no, thank you. And it was like one of the most humiliating, heartbreaking things that I did just from my, you know, wanting to be a person of my word, wanting to, you know, come in and make an impact, make a difference. But I realized that I hadn't said enough. I learned that lesson right then, but I hadn't and, um, tipped over. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's awesome. I mean, it, it's really cool to hear that you had the gumption to draw the line even retroactively, because it can be harder to, to draw it, you know, in reverse than it can be to draw it kind yeah. of in preparation. But um, yeah, I think it hits different people at different places and spaces. I, you know, I, I even, this is a conver- common conversation with other creators that, you know, they, they're building businesses and they're, they're making money and, and there's always going to be like, the next business venture and the next scalable thing. And I could always launch another course and I can always, you know, sell another product. But I've heard that so many times, even from people in the LinkedIn camp of like, I, I didn't say enough when I should have. Mm. Right. And, yeah. you know, my, my, my time invested in these businesses went from 20 hours a week to 40 to 60 to 80 to a hundred. And, you know, I looked around and I was making, you know, $3 million a year, but I didn't, like I wasn't happy. I didn't like who I was. Right. My family didn't didn't know me, or maybe they don't have a family. But just like I said, it, it it comes down to priorities and what you want. But it's such a powerful thing to to be content and to understand what that looks like mm. and and like the balance. And and I think the other thing too is that it's it's also okay for cont- your, you know, what defines contentment or success to change. Yes. Right. How I would have defined yes. what success is at the age of twenty five is. It's not how I would define it right now at the age of 34 and probably not how I'll define it when I'm 40 or 50 or 60 or dead or whatever it is. (laughs) Life doesn't work that linearly, right? Not at all. It's a constant, constant moving, constant changing, and you kind of have to be up for the, for the challenge. You got to change with it. But well, if you're up for the challenge, I'm ready to take this thing to the fire round. Let's, let's okay. put a bow on this thing, man. So we got five questions. You give us your answers. Super value packed. Number one, okay. what do you do to recharge? What do I do to recharge? I think I would give you three answers. Number one is the recharge window for me pretty much starts with like, I'm a, I'm a very faith-driven, religious kind of driven person. And, you know, there's lots of advice out there about meditation and, and self-care. And I, I think that's all good. My, you know, my avenue into that is just like time with Jesus in the morning that is uninterrupted. So mm. I will wake up early. I will sit down with, you know, a drink or coffee and I'll do some reading. I'll do some journaling. I'll do some prayer and then I'll get on with my day. And, and if I can do that, you know, five, six days a week, that's a win. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not always guaranteed with your kids, not but like, kids. yeah, that's, that's probably the biggest thing is just, you know, that, that time where I kind of root myself in my priorities and what is foundationally important. And again, like maybe you're not, you know, maybe you're not religious, maybe you're not a faith driven person. That's cool. But I, I think it's super important to, 
get your feet under you before you jump into a very, very busy life or very, very yep. busy day. So that's a big yep. one for me. And the second one is just exercise, which is a constant juggle, but um, I try to do some kind of exercise three to four times a week. It just makes everything else in my life better when I can really does yeah. have some level of fitness. And that's probably all that needs to be said. So yeah, I do some biking. I do some running. I like to swim. Um, yeah, that's great. What, what's the advice that you give your younger self working in tech? Oh, man, I, this, this is a good one. I, <laughs> so much advice, so much advice. <laughs> probably have to, I'll, I'll go with two. The first one is really easy, but it's just be detail oriented, mm. be detail oriented. Mm. I think the bar for detail orientation elevated itself a lot moving from aerospace to tech where I just had way more time for the details in mm. aerospace because things just moved at a much faster pace. I Things move so, so much quicker in the tech world that I constantly have to like remind myself of like, I, I need to do the due diligence. I need to read these things. I need to review these things. And I need to call out the little stuff because it makes a big difference, especially when you're yeah. developing software or hardware. So that's a big one. The other one that I'd say is, is more generic. It probably isn't specific to tech, but I really struggled in my first management job at Boeing, mm. like really struggled within the first six months. I didn't like it. I, I wanted to quit. A lot of reasons for that that I won't get into, but I would say the, the biggest piece of advice looking back that I would have given myself is like, you need to manage, you need to lead in your own way. Like mm. don't try to be a people manager in someone else's management style or don't try to fit your style into someone else's box. And I really did that for the first, I'm going to say, six months to a year to the point where it was, it just burned me out so fast. And when I kind of woke up from that and said, look, I'm just going to lead people and run my team the way that I think I should do it in my own personality. And that just changed everything. I, I was wow. so much happier with, with how things function. So yeah, don't, don't be afraid to be yourself in every aspect of your work. Push, push that boundary as hard as you can. What soft skill would you say has helped your career the most? I think it's confidence. It's, it's probably communications mm. or confidence, but I'd say that, yeah, you know, growing up in, again, a kind of a technical house, going to engineering school, doing my master's in engineering and, you know, being in this state of like continued learning, I would tell you that those things were all great. You know, having all that head knowledge is fantastic and being able to solve problems is a, is a really good thing. But if you can effectively communicate it to the people that matter, you will be hampered by that for the rest of your life. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you need to speak with a perfect accent, right? Or like be the most amazing writer in the room. What, really what it means is you need to be able to communicate intent. And mm. a lot of people in the engineering, even the tech space, they, they miss that, right? That they yeah. get way too caught up in the details, way too caught up in the science, way too caught up in the whatever minutia of the project where they're not good communicators because they cannot communicate intent. And I think I've worked hard to be good at that. And that's helped a lot. And then, of course, as I was kind of saying, like that's fed my confidence, which oh, wow. I think is kind of the ultimate soft skill. I'm confident in what I'm saying. I'm confident right. in what I'm writing. I'm confident in the decisions that I'm making. And man, confidence just, it's its such a mental power boost that yes. I, I, I'm able to kick down barriers so much faster because I believe in myself or believe in the people around me. And yeah, mm. there's there's nothing that replaces good confidence. So I'll, I'll stick with that. What has been your best return on time? So best return on time invested. I'm going to say the obvious one of just switching industries, you know, mm. go, going yeah. from the aerospace industry that required me to be on site in a building with people every day. Uh, not that those jobs are bad. Those, those, that job was fantastic and I loved it. it. It's just moving to a job that's more flexible in terms of where I work and when I work and how I work has been a massive life-changing thing for me, especially as a new dad. That level of flexibility, number one, it, it gave me a big chunk of my life back. But number two, maybe more importantly, it opened up my eyes to what's possible, right? Wow. Seeing like, oh, hey, this is what flexibility in my work does for my life. Yes. Is something that really kind of started that process of like, <laughs> okay, what, what if I doubled down on this? What if I, you know, yeah. went even further into this and I, you know, worked for myself and worked for, you know, my own business. And that, yeah, that's been the biggest return on time is that that industry change, that job change that allowed me to buy time or get time back 
or control my time. That's great. And what is the worst money or investing advice you've ever received? <laughs> There's been a lot. I'm not a financial expert by any stretch of the imagination, but I, I do spend a decent amount of time trying to learn the space. I would say that you really need to be careful of the get rich quick schemes. I, I, I can't stress this enough, but with the advent of the internet and platforms like Twitter and, and Instagram, there's just so many people out there that are looking to take advantage mm. of someone that is uneducated or unaware or, or just generally gullible. And it doesn't necessarily mean that a business scheme can't be a get rich quick scheme. Like th those do yeah. exist. I, I believe that they're possible. I'm not saying that they're not possible. What I am saying though is be careful of the people selling them to you. I, I've, I've definitely learned that in the last few years that, you know, even a good idea like cryptocurrency, right? Or NFTs <laughs> can be twisted and manipulated mm. into this thing that someone is trying to make a bunch of money off of a bunch of people that have no idea what's going on. And you really don't want to be one of the people that's, that's not going, it has no idea what's going on. So right. worst career advice definitely falls into that vein of like, yeah, friends saying like, Hey, let's go buy some NFTs because everybody else is. And, uh, you know, let's, let's jump into this, uh, <laughs> this discord room with other, with these total strangers and we're all going to, you know, whitelist. And I got a little <laughs> bit tied up into that. I never bought anything, but I would say that, you know, halfway into those, those progressions, you realize like, what the, what is happening? Like we're buying an <laughs> image of a drunken cat and I don't, right. why are we here? Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it pays to just be a little cautious. That's great. That's a great note to end on too, man. Do not buy NFTs of drunken cats. That's life <laughs> lesson from Adam Broda right there. Yeah. Now, yeah. thank you cool. so much. I appreciate <laughs> all of your time. I appreciate all of your wisdom and your transparency too. I mean, I think I get so excited when we're able to communicate to other technology employees that are trying to figure out, you know, this career, this money, how it all works together. I appreciate you so much, man. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me on again. Happy to, happy to share. Hopefully this helps some people in a similar space, figure out what they want to do. And uh, that's what I'm all about. So appreciate you having me. Yeah. And I'm going to make sure that, um, in the show notes, we're going to have where you can follow, uh, Adam on LinkedIn. He puts great information out on LinkedIn and then also brodacoaching.com so that you can, um, reach out to him there as well. And so thank you everyone, everyone for joining today. Uh, we are a small podcast growing. So I would ask, please, um, subscribe Apple, Google, Spotify, you name it, we're there. Please subscribe. Number two, please leave a review. We want to know what you find valuable to the podcast. And number three, tell somebody. We know there's so many people in tech trying to figure this out. We just want people to know so that we can help them. Thank you so much.